0: European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 45, Issue 1, Focus Issue, Thrombosis and Antithrombotic Treatment, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. The Key Role of Thrombosis, Focus on Acute Coronary Syndrome, Venous Thromboembolism and Atrial Fibrillation. As we step into the new year with this first issue, I'd like to convey warm wishes to all our readers. May the upcoming year be a journey of collaborative exploration marked by groundbreaking research and innovation. Editors, authors, reviewers and readers working together can continue to advance our mission in alleviating the global burden of cardiovascular disease. This focus issue on thrombosis and antithrombotic treatment contains the -the state-of-the-art review entitled Platelet Biology and Function, plaque erosion versus rupture, by Constance Batten and colleagues from the Maastricht University in the Netherlands. The authors remind us that the leading cause of heart disease in developed countries is coronary atherosclerosis, which is not simply a result of aging, but a chronic inflammatory process that can lead to acute clinical events upon atherosclerotic plaque rupture or erosion and arterial thrombus formation. The composition and location of atherosclerotic plaques determine the phenotype of the lesion and whether it's more likely to rupture or to erode. Although plaque rupture and erosion both initiate platelet activation on the exposed vascular surface, The contribution of platelets to thrombus formation differs between the two phenotypes. In this review, plaque phenotype is discussed in relation to thrombus composition, and an overview of important mediators, hemodynamics, matrix components, and soluble factors in plaque-induced platelet activation is given. As thrombus formation on disrupted plaques does not necessarily result in complete vessel occlusion, plaque healing can occur. Therefore, the latest findings on plaque healing and the potential role of platelets in this process are summarized. Finally, the clinical need for more effective antithrombotic agents is highlighted. Transesophageal echocardiography, or TOE, is often performed before catheter ablation or cardioversion to rule out the presence of left atrial appendage thrombus or LAT, in patients on chronic oral anticoagulation, or OAC, despite associated discomfort. Artificial intelligence, or AI, is generating growing interest and might also be helpful in this setting. In a clinical research article entitled Artificial Intelligence in Detecting Left Atrial Appendage Thrombus by Transthoracic Echocardiography and Clinical Features a left atrial thrombus on transesophageal echocardiography, or LAT registry, Konrad Piesko and colleagues from the University of Zielona Gora in Poland developed a machine learning model, LATAI, to predict the presence of LAT based on clinical and transthoracic echocardiography, or TTE, features. Data from a 13-site prospective registry of patients who underwent TOE before cardioversion or catheter ablation were used. LATAI was trained to predict LAT using data from 12 sites (n equaling 2,827) and tested externally in patients on chronic OAC from two sites (n equaling 1,284). Areas under the receiver operating characteristic curve, or AUCs Of LATAI were compared with that of left ventricular ejection fraction, or LVEF, and CHADS VASC score. A decision threshold allowing for a 99% negative predictive value was defined in the development cohort. A protocol where TOE in patients on chronic OAC was performed, depending on the LATAI score, was validated in the external cohort. In the external testing cohort, LAT was found in 5.5% of patients. LAT-AI achieved an AUC of 0.85, outperforming LVEF, P being less than 0.0001, and CHADS-VASC score, 0.69, P being less than 0.0001, in the entire external cohort. Based on the proposed protocol, 40% of patients on chronic OAC from the external cohort would safely avoid TOE. The authors conclude that LAT-AI allows accurate prediction of LAT. An LAT-AI-based protocol could be used to guide the decision to perform TOE despite chronic OAC. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Andrew Fletcher, Paul Leeson, and Casey Johnson from the University of Oxford in the United Kingdom. The authors note that the introduction of an AI model into healthcare typically aims to maintain or improve accuracy of a test. The work by Piesco et al. stands out because they have identified a particular patient-centered problem which should be solvable with AI and have shown that it is possible to develop a robust technical solution. However, the journey is not complete, and the next steps are particularly interesting. The unknowns are what happens when this is applied in real-world care. Does the tool really impact inconvenience and discomfort for patients by reducing the reliance on advanced imaging tests? Will clinicians trust the outputs of the tool and not order the additional tests? Is there an overall health economic benefit? Strokes will undoubtedly occur after cardioversions and catheter ablations. Can the users be confident that this is not because they use the AI tool and missed a thrombus? These are addressable, but randomized controlled trials will be needed and in particular, new trials that adopt a socio-technical perspective. Patients with unprovoked venous thromboembolism, or VTE, have a high recurrence risk, and guidelines suggest extended-phase anticoagulation. Many patients never experience recurrence, but are exposed to bleeding. In a clinical research article entitled The Vienna Prediction Model for Identifying Patients at Low Risk of Recurrent Venous Thromboembolism, a Prospective Cohort Study, Paul Kirill and colleagues from the Medical University of Vienna in Austria Assess the performance of the Vienna Prediction Model, or VPM, and evaluate if the VPN accurately identifies these patients. In patients with unprovoked VTE, the VPM was obtained three weeks after anticoagulation withdrawal. Those with a predicted one-year recurrence risk of less than or equal to 5.5% were prospectively followed. The study endpoint was recurrent VTE over two years. A total of 818 patients received anticoagulation for a median of 3.9 months. Of these, 520 patients, or 65%, had a predicted annual recurrence risk of less than or equal to 5.5%. During a median time of 23.9 months, 52 patients had non-fatal recurrence. The recurrence risk was 5.2% at 1 year and 11.2% at 2 years. Model calibration was adequate after 1 year. The VPM underestimated the recurrence risk of patients with a 2-year recurrence rate of greater than 5%. In a post-hoc analysis, the VPM's baseline hazard was recalibrated. Bootstrap validation confirmed an ideal ratio of observed and expected recurrence events. The recurrence risk was highest in men with proximal deep vein thrombosis or pulmonary embolism and lower in women regardless of the site of the incident VTE. Carol et al conclude that in this prospective evaluation of the performance of the VPM, the one-year rate of recurrence in patients with unprovoked VTE is 5.2%. Recalibration improves identification of patients at low recurrence risk and stratification into distinct low-risk categories. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Marc Carrier from the University of Ottawa in Canada and Peter Vachama from the KU Leuven Department of Cardiovascular Sciences in Belgium. Carrier and Vachama indicate that the VPM risk score can help estimate the risk of recurrent VTE and support an informed decision about extended-phase anticoagulation for secondary prevention of recurrent events. However, clinicians still need an accurate way to estimate the risk of bleeding complications in this patient population. This remains an important knowledge gap. Recently, the CHAP risk score, which includes creatinine, hemoglobin, age, and the use of an antiplatelet agent has been derived in a prospective cohort of patients with unprovoked VTE receiving extended-phase anticoagulant therapy. Similarly, the VTE PREDICT risk score aims to predict the risks of recurrent VTE and clinically relevant bleeding episodes simultaneously to ensure that clinicians have all the data needed to make an informative and balanced decision. However, Both the CHAP and VTE PREDICT risk scores need external prospective validation before they can be incorporated into routine clinical practice. Although the validation of the VPM risk score is an important step towards the quest for optimization of extended-phase anticoagulation in patients with unprovoked VTE, more studies are needed to provide a reliable estimate of bleeding complications and ensure optimal decision-making particularly in an era where reduced-dose direct oral anticoagulants have largely taken over from the use of vitamin K antagonists for extended-phase anticoagulation. The benefit of OAC therapy in atrial fibrillation, or AF, and intermediate stroke risk is debated. In a clinical research article entitled Stroke, and bleeding risk in atrial fibrillation with Chadvask vasc risk score of 1, the Norwegian AFNO study. Mariam Anjum and colleagues from the Bærum Hospital Vestrovikon Hospital Trust in Yetum, Norway, indicate that in a nationwide Norwegian cohort with a non-sex CHAD-VASC risk score of 1, they sought to investigate 1. stroke and bleeding risk in AF patients with and without OAC treatment. And two, the risk of stroke in non anticoagulated individuals with and without AF. A total of 1,118,762 individuals, including 34,460 AF patients, were followed during 2011 to 2018 until ischemic stroke, intracranial hemorrhage, increased CHADS VASC score, or study end. One-year incident rates, or IRs, were calculated as events per 100-person years. Cox regression models provided adjusted hazard ratios, or AHRs. Among AF patients, the ischemic stroke IR was 0.51 per 100-person years in OAC users and 1.05 per 100-person years in non-users, AHR 0.47. Intracranial haemorrhage IR was 0.28 per 100 person-years in OAC users and 0.19 per 100 person-years in non-users, AHR 1.23. OAC use was associated with an increased risk of major bleeding, AHR 1.37, but lower risk of the combined outcome of ischemic stroke, major bleeding and mortality, AHR 0.57. Non-anticoagulated individuals with AF at a higher risk of ischemic stroke compared with non-AF individuals with the same risk profile, AHR 2.47. Annual al conclude that in AF patients with a non-sex CHADS risk score of 1, OAC use is associated with overall favorable clinical outcomes. Non-anticoagulated AF patients have a higher risk of ischemic stroke compared with the general population without AF with the same risk profile. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Francis Marchlinsky, Daniela Musa, and Ali Reza-Orai from the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA. The authors conclude that future randomized control trials are warranted, to further address the current controversies in anticoagulation practices for intermediate-risk AF patients. Meanwhile, caregivers should embrace the responsibility to remain current with respect to guideline recommendations, additional risk stratification, and the rapidly evolving data on new anticoagulation agents and non-OAC treatment options. To tip the balance in favour of an appealing trade-off between benefit and risk with OAC therapy, it's vital to develop the needed skills to optimise the individualised care for stroke risk stratification while minimising bleeding in intermediate risk AF patients with one non-sex CHADS-VASc risk factor. This issue was also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a commentary entitled, What is the optimal duration of dual antiplatelet therapy after percutaneous coronary intervention in high bleeding risk? One month or three months? Qin Chao and Yafang Chen from the First People's Hospital of Kunshan in China comment on the recent publication, Dual antiplatelet therapy duration after percutaneous coronary intervention in high bleeding risk. A meta-analysis of randomized trials by Francesco Costa and colleagues from the University of Messina in Italy. Costa et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.